Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South. On this episode, Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com, and myself are going to be joined by Rocco Miller, uh, one of college basketball's most interesting human beings. He runs Bracketeer.org, is one of the most accurate bracketologists in the country. Uh, he also just watches a lot of college basketball games. He works as a scheduling consultant for a number of programs. Um, just a super interesting guy. He was in the Odom the other night for Florida, Texas A&M. So we're going to get into that. Talk a little bit about Florida Atlantic as well. Um, just kind of noting, you know, the rise of former Florida assistant Dusty May. And then we'll get into the return of Mike White to Gainesville. Um Will be interesting to see the kind of reception he gets. I would clap, but I know I'm not all of y'all. So uh, enjoy the show, and um, hopefully the Gators can pick up their first conference win this weekend. Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South, joined by Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. We have a special guest for this episode. It's going to be Rocco Miller of Bracketeer.org. Rocco does a lot of really interesting stuff in college basketball land, but also uh, one of the more, um, well, one of the bracketologists that we that we on the show uh, respect and follow a lot. Uh, more closely than some of the others. And also the good thing about Rocco is that he um, kind of dives into these things earlier. So it's not one of these bracketology sites where you have to wait till like February of the next year to figure out what's going on, but we're really happy to have him. Welcome Rocco. Why don't you uh, tell people about yourself where they can find you and, and all of that. Yeah. I appreciate it. You guys for having me on. It's uh um, it's, it, it's great to be on with you. I've, I've respected the show for, for years and um, gotten to know Eric over the years as well. We've been on the same platforms and had some crossover uh, throughout that time. And, and really what I do is a myriad of things. In essence, I'm a college basketball junkie. Um, I think Jeff Good, I'm going to steal that from Goodman. I think he likes to tell people that. But the reality is, is I got into bracketology, uh, man, probably 15 years ago. Um, I think I've been doing it longer. I, I used to sit there with a scratch piece of paper on selection Sunday, first thing in the morning. And I used to love that and just sketch out the entire bracket, how I think it's going to go. And then Twitter, Twitter started in 2010, right? So um, now that's been, this will be the 13th year of having Twitter at our disposal. And so uh, that obviously just got a lot more attention on it. It inspired me to start the website about 15 or sorry, in 2015. So that's been, that's been around now for the eighth season. Um, so that's bracketsheer.org. And every, everything I do around that <clears throat> is geared towards March Madness and, and what the bracket's going to look like. So fans, uh, coaches, the college basketball community at large, um, can get a better feel, big picture of what's going on. Um, and my, my goal uh, has always been and will, will probably always be to focus on all 32 conferences, treat everybody equally. I think in the early part of the year is a great opportunity to highlight a lot of the lower and mid-major leagues. And, I, and we all know once we get to March, we're going to be focused on the, the SEC-type programs like Florida, the Power Fives, et cetera, because by the end, we're pretty much left with that. So why not give everybody a little bit more love as we go? There's so many unbelievable stories to tell in college basketball. So I've centered a lot of my analyst work around that. And then in the offseason, um, especially throughout COVID, um, I've become a consultant of – for some reason, like that just kind of fell in my lap for non-conference scheduling. And uh, – 
you, you can imagine the power fives don't need my advice very often. Um, I do get the opportunity to work with Florida just because I have good relationships with Todd Golden and uh, the staff there. But uh, most of the time I'm helping like the St. Mary's of the world and the George Mason's and the, you know, the Richmond's and all those types of schools. So um, it's just been really, really cool. I haven't really um, ha- had to define my, my exact focus ever. And I, I really like it that way. So thanks again for having me on. Yeah. I, I didn't know how much you were, you were able to talk about the, uh, the, consultation you do when it comes to scheduling but that is something that i find very cool about what you do doing that work and s- setting up games for um low major and mid-major teams i i mean so many people talk about that they they want to care about low major and mid-major basketball and i would say you uh you very much back that up anyone who uh follows you on twitter or knows the work that you do setting up some of these games you you genuinely do love and appreciate uh, those levels of basketball um i also have to say i appreciate that you talked about you know caring about uh, teams in march um such as florida I I will not ask for your current projection um, when it comes to Florida and postseason play. But hey, you said we'd be care- people would be caring about Florida in March, so we'll uh, uh, we'll take that. But uh, uh, I, I was, uh, you know, one of the one of the reasons that um, you know when when Todd Golden was 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 hired, I was uh, pretty happy. I was like, oh, I know Rocco's a big uh, Golden guy, San Francisco guy, so I'm glad that that's uh, put us uh, put us even closer. And uh, now you are uh, uh, cashing in on your uh, relationship with with the staff. You're you're in Florida. You came down. Um, I know you had quite a tumultuous trip to Gainesville. Um, you should, uh, you tell that story of, uh, what it took to, uh, to get you across, uh, cross country into Gainesville. And, uh, then, uh, last night you were, uh, um, in South Florida to see a former assistant in, in Dusty May and a very good Florida Atlantic team take on a very good UAB team. Um, yeah. After you tell the story about, uh, what it took to get you into Gainesville, you want, do you want to uh, give a little recap of, uh, your time in, uh, in Boca as well? <laughs> That's hilarious. Thanks, Eric. Y- yeah. I mean, it, it was, uh, a straightforward game plan from my perspective um, got, got out of the Bay area first thing in the morning. And I, I don't know if anybody's paying attention to the weather channel, you know, we're doing this, uh, this show today on Friday, but uh, uh, right now the Bay area is going through unprecedented flooding and rain and all this stuff. So I actually had to strategically figure out when to fly. I originally was just going to do a red eye, make sure I'm in town, have plenty of time to prep and, you know, get to the arena early. Those are things I love to do. And, and I typically will do. If it's within my control, but due to the weather back there, um, I wanted to get out at 6 a.m. based on, you know, it wasn't supposed to rain during that time. I figured out they had to get all the planes out of there first thing in the morning. So that, that all came together beautifully. Um, and then my, I, you know, there's no direct flights to Gainesville, as we all know, especially from the West Coast. So <laughs> I did a, I did a quick little, you know, switch of planes in Dallas. Um, everything went very smoothly. Uh, we're on the, we're on the way to Gainesville. We've got about 30 minutes to land. And uh, one of the more, and I travel a lot as you, Eric, I know you know that. Um, I, I don't think I've had this happen to me, but the pilot just jumps on and really nonchalantly says, yeah, there's a uh, lightning storm in the area, severe weather. They've decided not to let us land. So we're just going to go ahead and land in Tallahassee, um, but we'll figure it out. Everybody stay calm. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sitting there like, oh man, because the, the plane was scheduled to land at 4.30 Eastern. Of course, the Texas A&M game tipped off at 7. And so, yeah, I, I'm basically looking at this like there's no way I'm going to make tip off. Um, the whole night might be a bust, in fact. But the other side of that was I was lo- looking at it positively. I'm coming down for two games. If I miss this one tonight, you know, I'll still track it, write about it, whatever, um, and then be there for Saturday. Um, we ended up on the ground in Tallahassee. And then I was actually texting with a couple of the assistants at Florida um, and they were like, 
get off the plane and just just uh, rent a car and and whip it down here. I'm looking at the the I think I tweeted about it. Um, the the map it says two and a half hours, and uh, that would have probably got me there by halftime. Um, you know, should I have done it? And if they would have let me off the plane, but I found out later if you got off the plane, they weren't going to give you your luggage. Mm. And uh, I I, fly, I don't I don't fly with you know with with my clothes that I wear to the games in. So I I would have been showing up in sweats <laughs> with a hat on and uh unshaven you know just just a lot of problems um so that wasn't really a, a good option either so fortunately about an hour goes by Gainesville for those that don't know uh went through a severe lightning situation probably around I don't know four or five o'clock so my timing was terrible if our plane was an hour earlier an hour later it, it was literally that one hour where planes couldn't land um that I needed to land to make it to the game on time so anyway, an hour later, we take off from Tallahassee. That was a very quick 25-minute flight or whatever it was. And uh, I got into the arena by the second media timeout of the first half. So, guys, really, uh, all in all, not not terrible. Uh, but, um, you know, anxious to see Todd again and, and the Gators. That was that was a heck of a way to anticipate it, you know, being up at 4 in the morning and still not being there by tip-off. How did you uh, how did you find the uh, the feel in uh, in the O Dome there? I don't know if you've been to a game uh, before in in, in yeah. Gainesville or or what that was like, and uh, what were just kind of kind uh, of uh, what was your feel in the building, and uh, how did you think the uh, the Gators play? I think we can kind of transition into into that game now. Yeah, absolutely. And you and you asked about the Florida Atlantic thing mm-hmm. real quick. I, I yeah, I was there last night. We're talking here again on Friday here. Um, Unbelievable. Uh, Dusty May, I, I, I'm sure Gator fans are very familiar. Obviously, a Mike White disciple. Um, best, he's already the best coach in Florida Atlantic history. Uh, if you can go back and look that up. Uh, they've had so many legends hired there, like Mike Jarvis, uh, Michael Curry, Rex Walters, uh, Matt Doherty. Uh, none of them could get that program off the ground. Uh, Dusty May certainly has this year. And uh, been around 500 his first three years, which if you look at Florida Atlantic history, it's uh, – a it's an achievement for sure. And obviously there's more money, uh, but, but, you know, real quick on them, the ability for him to get his seven, eight guys in his rotation to all come back in this era at that level, at the conference USA level. Um, I can't find, I can't really find much of another example like it. Uh, maybe North Texas can pull that off. Um, very few programs can pull that off. It says a ton about him. And uh, it, it says a ton about, how those guys get along together. None of them were five-star recruits, but obviously um, the way the NBA works now, I think a few of them are going to get NBA looks. We'll go into details there. Uh, But this team's extremely versatile. Uh, He has so many tools in his toolkit. You know, they have a 7-1 guy that was the star, uh, Vlad, uh, you know, Vlad Golden, in fact. His name's Golden, spelled a little differently than Todd. But, but, uh, you know, they benched him one minute in because he was not a good matchup for UAB. And then – you know, they go to their their backup center, who's much more physical. He plays unbelievable in the first half. They they led most of the first half. Anyway, they end up winning the game, but the rest of the starting five are less or six, four and under. Um, so they just do a really strategic job of finding pieces that fit per matchup. In Conference USA, throws everything at you, much like the SEC, just different level, but but so many different coaching styles in, in Conference USA. It's fascinating how. You know, here in Dusty May's fourth year, he's figured that out. Um, so back to the Gators, you know, <clears throat> I thought that AM game had a bunch of peaks and valleys. And I think you guys would agree with that. That was my, my main takeaway is 
um, you know, I got I got there. The first half was just totally uh, no no rhythm. Um, you know, the, I, I, I've covered San Francisco games throughout Todd Golden's uh, time there, uh, both assistant and head coach. I've never seen him talk to the officials as much as he did uh, that night. I mean, he was literally talking to the official almost every possession. Uh, obviously didn't like some of the calls. You guys probably have some opinions there. I'll save that for you. Um, but I, I felt like, you know, it, it, if I'm a player, I, you see your coach battling the refs all game. It's it's really hard to get anything going. It's really hard to stay focused on the game plan. Those, those are human nature issues. So that, in my opinion, the Gators were stuck in the mud the whole first half. Uh, Texas A&M being on the road, mucking things up, Buzz Williams style. Um, that's exactly what they wanted. They were totally comfortable with uh, with a no rhythm type of game, trying to just get out of there with the W. Um, so then the the peaks came right there at the start of the second half, as you guys know, where the Gators just started pushing it. Um, you know, AM would miss, push it down the floor, boom, quick bucket. You know, steal bucket. Um, not 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 too much standing around. Guys were moving without the ball. They'll, you know, they go on a thirteen nothing or thirteen one type of run. Don't, don't don't quote me on that, but but I think. Um, that got the Gators tied at one point really quickly in the second half. And, and then it was a seesaw battle from there. But then again, like I think from like the 15 or 14 minute mark left in the game till about five minutes left in the game, they got stuck in the mud all over again. And, um, you know, let the, let the crowd get mad at the refs, Todd get mad at the refs, you know, nothing, nothing against him. I get it. It's all human nature. And I think over time, it's only, it's only golden second sec game. This is th- these games are officiated much different than the WCC. And um, unfortunately, I, I hate focusing on the officials, but it was a really, I think, a big part of this game because everybody just seemed to lose focus uh, at, at points in time where the Gators really could have taken control. And I, and I felt like that was a missed opportunity. What did you guys think? Yeah, no, I think that's a, that's a great place to start. I did want to circle back real quick on FAU. And, Sure. And the cool thing about having our show for five years is, as Eric knows, is we get to do this because we've kind of figured out that our listeners care about the rest of the sport. Um, <laughs> you know, at first, the first couple of years we were worried. We're like, can we even talk about anything outside of SEC basketball? And then we got to know some of our listeners like and we're like, man, our hardcore listeners are basketball junkies. So they, you know, they're interested in this stuff. I mean, Dusty is is a friend. So take whatever I say with, with a grain of salt to some extent, I suppose. Um, but Mike's coaching tree is, has mostly done a pretty good job. You know, Darius is struggling a little bit at Radford. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, uh, and, and, you know, especially two of the more recent ones, Jordan and Dusty are winning at places where you don't win. Um, right. And I know Jacksonville has a final four banner, but you know, that comes from like <laughs> right around integration. So uh, <laughs> let's not, get too carried away with, with Jacksonville's tradition. But I think two things about FAU. One is Dusty's doing that with Miami good. So like Mm. he's trying to recruit and he's recruiting in-state kids because you have to there. And he's doing it when Larinaga gets everybody he wants down there that doesn't like leave Broward County for Duke. Right. Right. Um, And they almost got Vernon Carey, by the way. So, like, that's how good Miami recruits down there. And Dusty's still winning. And then the second thing I would say is, I mean, that I don't. that's a pretty good league, I think, which hasn't always been the case. But, like, North Texas is a good team. 
that UAB team you saw last night is excellent and really well coached. Um, Anybody, I mean, Andy, speaking of guys who won a lot of games, places where it's hard, just look at what Kermit's struggling with in Oxford to figure out how good a coach Andy Kennedy was. Right. Right. So just super impressive. And and what an atmosphere in Boca last night. Agreed. Um, And I'm glad you pointed out the recruiting part. I think maybe a little bit to his benefit is uh, obviously Miami most recently has gone portaling with a lot of big national attention on that. Um, so pulling guys like Norchad from uh, the Sun Belt and and of course uh, getting the K State big transfer Nigel Pack and and so you know in the portal era <clears throat> it gives teams like Florida Atlantic a little bit of uh, some different angles right take a chance on some some local stars uh, that you you otherwise wouldn't have access to or maybe find a, a down transfer from from uh, the power league. So all those things are, are options, but Dusty, um, and I think this is what you're getting at, Neil, is uh, has been able to build this team and keep them together with a lot of local guys. Um, you know, it, it was it was a fun experience for me because uh, I got to Boca Raton early yesterday, unlike Gainesville the day before. And I, I went around, you know, they have this really cool little downtown. I've never I've uh, been to Boca before yesterday. Uh, I've done Miami. I've done Fort Lauderdale, but first time to Boca. And um, I, I'm, I'm literally trying to talk about the game day, all the random, you know, store owners and restaurant waitre- waitresses and waiters and all those kinds of things. And nobody had any clue how good these guys were. So I, I literally told every single person how good they were and to go watch them. <laughs> play. Um, That's awesome. I told awesome. Dusty that I told Dusty that last night and he thanked me. But I mean, it really, <laughs> I mean, I'm sitting there looking at the entire landscape, fellas, and I, there's there. I mean, maybe Charleston, maybe UAB, maybe North Texas. Uh, I, I love what UNC Wilmington and Oral Roberts, some of those teams are doing. Kent State's amazing, um, but Florida Atlantic, Florida, in my opinion, Florida Atlantic's the team. I, if anybody's going Sweet 16, Elite Eight out of non-Power Six, that's definitely my pick because they have the ability to match up with anybody. Um, obviously they got to stay healthy. Anybody that goes down on that team, they're in a lot of trouble. As we saw in the Ole Miss loss, they didn't have Michael Forrest. But um, otherwise, this is this is a team built to to hang with anybody. So it's pretty pretty cool. Uh, very very cool for that area. And uh, it's, you know, it's cool with no history. And and let's let's be honest, Dusty May, he's getting a million phone calls as soon as the season ends. Probably already getting them now. His agent, I'm sure, is. So, um, <laughs> yeah. You know, let's enjoy it while it lasts. Well, let's just put it yeah. that way. Um, well, they've got they got Charlotte Saturday, who's another team in that game. league that's yeah, pretty good. Um, they got Charlotte. So, they got Charlotte this Saturday. They got North Texas next Saturday. Those are both home games. If you live in Florida, you got nothing going on. You're close to Boca. Go to the game. No doubt. Um, as for the Gators, I, you know, I'm going to let Eric get into this a little bit. One of the things that that I kind of circled and then I saw Todd say immediately in the postgame was Florida had been so much better defensively over the last month and they were fine for much of the game um, Wednesday night. But man, they opened terribly on the defensive end. Just a lot of really easy baskets. And like I get that like Boots Radford is a sneaky player who's going to get like he's going to do some things that that make it look easy, but. Uh, Florida just gave up way too many uh, easy shots in the first half, Eric. 
Yeah, I what, one thing I did uh, definitely love from from Todd Golden in, in the post game is he mentioned that they were uh, fifth in the country since Thanksgiving, I think, in in defense. And um, you know, he didn't have to say it. I know a Bart Torvik number when when I see one. So I, I love to see, of course, that we now have a coach that's going to reference Bart Torvik and uh, and their ability to <laughs> uh, to sort by by date. Uh, so I actually did look up that, look it up afterwards. And uh, after the game, they're now third, I think, since Thanksgiving in the country in defensive efficiency, which is um, fantastic um of course the uh problem is they're not being able to parlay that into wins due to their offense which we will certainly talk about but uh but defensively and and i guess another thing that that golden kind of talked about and was clearly upset with was this jersey fiasco the one thing that uh rocco you did kind of miss by not getting uh into the arena at times but as i was following your saga on twitter i was like oh well at least this jersey thing is going to delay the game and and get you in there you know with a little more time on the clock, but uh, yeah, talking about a game with no flow, I feel like it definitely started with the fact that teams are ready to tip off and it didn't. And again, I'm still kind of curious about how that went down because it kind of seemed like it was a couple minutes before tip and they were like, Oh, by the way, we're going to be delayed a little bit. Like you would have thought like, again, I don't know the logistics of these poor student managers who as much as, Hey, uh, respect to Buzz Williams, who, you know, like, uh, symbolically took uh took fault for the jerseys but we know that you know they're not hanging up in his hotel room but uh Ooh. you know it is one of those things that you thought like maybe at hey at like you know 6 30 you would have known hey the tip's probably going to be delayed till 7 10 but it really it really did seem like um it added to the disjointed nature of the game the way that both teams didn't really feel their rhythm and i think that that um as kind of rocco alluded to definitely benefited more Texas A&M style of play. And the Gators, I do think, came out um, quite flat defensively relative to their ability. And and I think when the Gators were were at their best and have been at their best in, in recent games, um, you know, the Gators play a fairly conservative style of defense. And I don't say that as a, as a negative. Um, they've got good athletes. They've got guys that play hard. They've got length at a few positions. So when they've been at their best, like in rotation, the – the little thing like closing out to passing lanes and, and, and sitting in the gaps to plug up dribble penetration. Like that's been when, when they've been at their best. And I just felt like early from the tip, it was Radford getting in situations where it was one-on-one scenarios where he's faster than Kyle Lofton and he's more physical than Trey Bonham. He's bigger and stronger than Trey Bonham. So it just felt like, especially he had the advantage. And later in the game, we saw the Gators having really good kind of support in the gaps with their length. But early it wasn't there and it just felt like some of those kind of straight line drives or things that turn into a big men getting, you know, drop off dunks. So, um, again, I don't want to put that all on the feet of jerseys delaying the game by by 10 minutes. And that's the only reason that, that the Gators were bad, but defensively, but we, the Gators have shown and they showed in that game that they have been much more improved defensively. And uh, by just really committing to a style of, of, of defense that um, opponents can kind of know what's coming. It's uh it's a it's a pretty straightforward scheme, but it's one the Gators have done really well. And and again, like it's 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 something that we haven't been able to talk about enough because of their offense. But yeah, like as per Bart Torvik, since uh since Thanksgiving, the Gators are are third in the country in adjusted defensive efficiency, which is uh tremendous. And if the Gators keep that up, um, you know, maybe they're gonna have a chance to uh to write some of these these runs. But yeah, a little bit of a little bit of a tough disjointed start defensively and uh um, maybe, I don't know, I guess, I guess you would have maybe missed a little bit of that Rocco. So maybe, uh, maybe Neil, you say what, uh, what was going on, but in that, in those first couple of minutes, what, what you saw? Well, I mean, they're just, their help wasn't as good as it has been. Right. And I think, um, 
you know, because you mentioned cons- they're conservative. They don't switch as much as a lot of these modern defenses, Eric. I think they do that because they have pr- – my theory on that is that, hey, we have pretty good athletes and we'll just – we can guard you one to five if we communicate and help. Um, you know, I mean, look, some of the best teams in the country nationally are, are conservative defensively, right? Like Florida State isn't historically, <laughs> but Virginia, that's – I mean, that – pure pack line is a very conservative defense. It's just, Hey, communicate, help, you know, cut off penetration. And Florida isn't playing, you know, a pure pack line defense by any stretch of the imagination. But um, I didn't think Florida helped or communicated. They weren't talking that much. And I think in the first media timeout where Rocco would have been trying to get into the building, you know, <laughs> they, they had uh, at least the mic on the radio broadcast and, you know, with Lee Humphrey's trying to talk and you can hear Todd, going, you guys have to talk to each other, which reminded me of Mike White. We'll get to him a little later. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't think they were doing that as much. And then they they get it together and then start to play their good defense. And that's when I think we can really get some insight into, from Rocco from being in the building. Because I thought the key to that last second stretch of the first half was Florida's inability to deal with double teams it seems really obvious to say, but Florida wasn't doing sort of simple things that you're supposed to do that I'm sure Todd Golden and Kevin Hovday emphasized, you know, and it's harder with the second big and without a second big rather in modern basketball, right? When, when you play four out one in, um, it's harder to have your second big because you don't have one flash to the middle of the floor against the double team, which is the most obvious eighth grade basketball answer to this, right? Um, but Florida's other players were reluctant to move with the exception of Byron Jones, who I think got a couple backdoor layups, one he missed, one he made. Um, and you know, so what did you see on that stuff, Rocco? Cause it looked like, you know, Florida was just all sorts of discombobulated off, uh, off doubles and really some triples. Yeah. Great, uh, great call out there. Um, you know, I, I agree with you. I think, I, I think there was just so much you know, like I mentioned earlier, disruption in the flow um, and, and really some of the, some of those counters from from AM, and uh, from my perspective, kind of threw off the rhythm. And, and there really was no rhythm from that from the whole first half that I saw. And again, I, I saw the last 12 minutes. None. <laughs> no rhythm. So that that's that's really frustrating if you're a coach, uh, because, you know, for, for all we know, Todd and Hobie and the whole staff could have put in the perf- the perfect plays. It's just not getting executed. And so you just keep fighting. Right. And AM, <clears throat> they've got a lot of pieces uh, and defensively, they just mix it up so much where, uh, you know, they're, they're clogging. They, they obviously were focused on Castleton um, and, and he struggled turnover wise. I, I, th- I thought personally, and this goes for both halves um, and you guys talked about it on the last episode. I listened to your last episode and excellent job breaking down the, uh, the Auburn game, which I which I watched start to finish as well, um, you know that that last possession in Auburn where Castlin got the ball out too far from the hoop, I, I kept seeing that in this game, and and Castlin ends up with six turnovers, and uh, after the after the game, Colin's a great kid by the way, so this is nothing against him, I I love the guy, but um, you know one of his first quotes uh, on the on the mic was, it's insane how much we turned the ball over tonight, and six of the twenty were. Uh, his responsibility to a degree. And so, uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a problem. Like, they, they, they're obviously running everything through him, and, you know, they've got weapons around him, uh, no doubt. But but I, I think I think teams have figured that out. And, and now it's time, I think, maybe start with Georgia here Saturday um, to, to, to mix that up a little bit more so Colin can be a, a little bit more freed up. So <clears throat> I, I know the guys were – the staff was going to work pretty late Wednesday after the game on already working on that. So, so that's, that's really my main observation. You guys are so good at breaking down the X's and O's. Um, and so I'll, I'll default to you on those, but, but I do want to preface the uh, Texas A&M side of the uniform issue real quick. Cause uh, both Julius Marble and Tyrese Radford told us in the presser um, that that was actually a motivator for them. Um, yeah. <laughs> and you guys might've heard that. So <laughs> it, I found that pretty interesting that they rallied around the no uniforms. They had told Buzz Williams, we'll beat these guys in our practice uniforms. You know, <laughs> it, it, it kind of sparked them. And, and even Buzz kind of talked about that as well. So that that's interesting. I, I think all that stuff's great. It's good theater. And if you're a coach or, or a player, you do anything you possibly can to get motivated. Uh, so by A&M uh, from their mentality and, and their standpoint, well done. And, and I would have done the exact same thing if I were them. But from a Gator standpoint, it's not an excuse. You know, there's, there's a Gator team that came in 0-1 in the league. Um, no top 100 wins for either team, as you guys called out on the last episode. And um, th- th- there's just got to be a, f- a level of focus um, that that doesn't let that kind of stuff, you know, get you out of your game plan and out of your rhythm. And maybe to some degree it did. So those are my thoughts on the, on all of that. Yeah, so uh, alongside this number that's pretty incredible defensively of the Gators being third in in Torvik's adjusted defensive efficiency since um, since Thanksgiving, there's a flip side, and that is the offensive side of the ball where, um, just hold on to your chairs for a second, the Gators are 214th in the country in adjusted oh. offensive efficiency since Thanksgiving. <laughs> So, of course, for people who listen to the podcast, they will know that I was not a big fan of the continuity ball screen offense that was being employed. I did not think uh, it looked good. I in a, Even in a vacuum, I'm not a huge fan of that style. And uh, the results kind of are what they are. And I do think that um, we saw something completely different against Texas A&M. They largely went away from it. And I know that, of course, you know, we all saw the results. They did not have a great offensive showing. But it was at least them going to some different offensive systems um, going away from something that I don't think will work or was working. So while of course we'd love to see a, a better offensive showing, this was like growing pains that um, I, I guess you can live with like, Hey, it's, it's also really frustrating to be in January in sec play and changing up the offense. That's something we saw with Mike white a couple of times and it was a cause of frustration. Um, it's still frustrating because again, I think that they should yeah. have seen a, a, a while before that the offense they were using wasn't a good fit, but Hey, better late than never, in my opinion. So I was happy to see them run a little bit more of the, the five out stuff, getting away from the continuity ball screen and, and putting the ball in the hands of, of, of Castleton. I, again, I just think it was, there were some situations where he needs to be a distributor from those situations and not dribble himself down into positions where he could get double teamed. But um, yeah, that's uh 
well, I, I'm now even more interested to see what happens against Georgia because we did start to see offensive changes. Uh, we wanted to see offensive changes. So for them to make changes and not go well in game one, I'm not going to, I'm not going to kill him for that. that that's for sure. But um, you know, Rocco, this is one of those things where like, you know, Todd Golden really better than most people covering college basketball. You've covered him for longer than most people. Um, so when you see a team like this um, struggling offensively, um, is this something that you could have maybe predicted? Like, did you, did, did it take him some time to, to figure out how to get things going? Was it just getting some extremely talented guards in San Francisco? Like, what would you say to a fan who said like, Hey, like what, uh, what should our response be to a Todd Golden team struggling offensively? Yeah, that's a loaded question. I appreciate it. I, I think, you know, the whole time he was at San Francisco, Bouye was um, in, in the mix, right. And, and Bouye was very special. I mean, he'll be, I, I don't follow the NBA, Eric. I think you do, and uh, but I, I, I've heard he's killing the G League. I'm sure it's only a matter of when uh, he gets the call. But I mean, he's a special player. And Masalski last year, getting him to transfer to San Francisco from San Diego within the league, that was just a, a brilliant piece uh, that they found, right? And I talked to Todd at length about this in the off season, and um, you know that was just a special uh, pair of players to go along with other really good players last year. Uh, and the biggest thing I think that's different from that group of guys versus the group at Florida so far, and ideally this changes soon, is uh, the toughness. They, they, those guys those guys at San Francisco last year, they're just freaking tough. Like Bouye ain't, ain't going to take anything from anybody. It didn't matter if you were North Carolina or uh, University of Portland, right? Like Bouye is going to make the big shot. He's going to take the charge. He's going to do everything that makes the team uh, winning plays. Let's just call that winning plays, right? And Masalski was just so physically tough. I mean, you saw – if you watched – you know, Eric, you probably did. When they played Gonzaga, like he was just, uh, for lack of a better word, punking uh, Chet Holmgren, uh, Drew Timmy on rebounding. I mean, he was – look at the offensive rebounding numbers for San Francisco last year. I think they were top ten in the country, if I remember right. So – it was, it was a different group. They knew how to use those pieces. Now, Florida is an entirely different group. Um, I would argue maybe more talent as a, as a whole, of course. And I think the struggle right now is, A, get them tougher. B, figure out a rotation that's going to stick. And I was shocked to get here in January and still see them playing 10 guys. And I think you got to get that thing down to at least nine, maybe eight by March or eight by late February. I mean, just go, just go research – any tournament team, right? They're, they're usually down to seven or eight by, by February. Um, and I get it. It's tough because all these guys belong on the court. Their SEC talent level uh, proves out. But uh, those are some difficult decisions that have to be made. And I think, I think when you're letting in today's basketball, college basketball, um, when you're letting 10 or more guys see the court, especially this late in the season now, um, you're, you're just kind of adding more chaos. Uh, this is just my opinion. I, I totally trust Todd and what the staff's doing. Um, but I think that's just made it harder to generate a season flow to, to you know, beat a solid team. But but I agree with Todd in, in his in his quotes the other night of saying that you can tell it's just right there. It's close. Like all these little adjustments each game. Uh, Eric, great, great call on getting more spread out and doing the five out offense more and getting away from, you know, calling uh, as, a, as a centerpiece all the time. Um, I think that's just going to continue. And the hard part at Florida is, as you guys know very well, <laughs> every night 
is a brutal test. It's there's there's no Portland's, there's no Pacific's, there's no San Diego's, um, and so it's it's a whole different beast here. And the expectations are what they are. Everybody that came here, the staff, I love them all. Um, when they signed up, they knew what they were signing up for. And so um, I, I'll just tell Gator fans that you, you know you won't meet more competitive people uh, than the people that Florida hired, um, and they're going to do everything they can to make right. the, make these p- pieces fit. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a lifestyle for them and they love the game of basketball. And I think that's, that's really cool. And I really hope, you know, they can get things going here quickly. And I think once you, you see like a two or three game winning streak, um, that'll be a really great time to start getting excited because I think at that point they'll, they'll start to be able to bank on things and tighten things up a lot more. Yeah. I mean, they're now, uh, two things I would point out. They're now 0-3 in the in the five points or less games, which has become sort of a Florida cult basketball stat, thanks to Kevin Brockway, the the great mm. beat writer here during the Billy Donovan years. Kevin's back, by the way. But Kevin's uh, back. So I, yeah. Yeah. So I, it was fun to tweet tweet that the other night, and, and he had a laugh at it because Billy Donovan actually, Kevin was telling me, famously started 0-7 in uh, five points or less games. Um, so Billy had his growing pains adjusting to power six basketball too. Um, and uh, Todd's now 0-3. But the one that stands out to me, and, and Eric and I have have liked this stat. I don't want to speak. I, I don't usually speak for Eric, but I, I've listened to him talk enough to know that he likes it. And, you know, Kim Palm has that luck stat, which is just a deviation between what the metrics say and, like, what your record should be and what it is. And, and uh, only Creighton – and uh, James Madison are lower in luck right now than Florida of any team in Division One. <laughs> I mean, the Gators are just uh, – it just hasn't gone their way on a couple nights. I mean, take the shot – the shot quality, which they actually lost um, yeah. to Texas A&M. That, but that was the first shot quality loss in the last four. And then they lost by seven to Xavier in a game that shot quality said they would only lose 17% of the time. That was the number I wrote down before the podcast. So, like – you know, they kind of like bottled up Xavier and it's hard to think of bottling up a team and giving up 90, but that's more or less what happened based on shot quality. Xavier just hit some ridiculous shots um, like they did against UConn. Um, and so, you know, I, I do think there's something to be said for like, it's right there at the same time. You know, I also see a lot of frustration in the fan base. Uh, and, you know, I think my, kind of factual tweets get misinterpreted. I say, Hey, it's the worst start for Florida basketball this century. It's not me saying this staff stinks. It's just me saying they're seven and seven. And, you know, obviously that's not what's happened at Florida. So fans are not used to this. Um, And I think that's also a tell to like, and a nod to Todd and his staff. They know what a good job they have. They know what a great place Florida is basketball wise. You know, I think there's this, narrative that still somehow it's this that it's not the greatest job in history and billy donovan sort of made it that but really the program has won consistently for 30 years i mean it's a great job and that's why starting seven and seven is frustrating to people rocco yeah and you know what quite frankly it should be frustrating Uh, if it's not something's wrong with you um it's uh it's a program that's been to final fours uh national championship so the the bar you know, 06, 07, they're, they're still the last back-to-back champion in history. It's uh, The bar was raised long ago at this point. And um, like I said just a minute ago, like 
everybody coming here knew that going in. It's a, it's a, it's a win now culture at this level. Um, believe me, I get it. I, I grew up in Seattle. I'm still a diehard uh, Washington Huskies football fan. And, uh, and we, nice. <laughs> yeah. Coming off an 11 win year. So very proud of that. But uh, you, you know, last year we, yeah. had fire, we had to fire Jimmy Lake after one year because you know, the a, you know, and looking back on it, he deserved to be fired because lack, lack of uh, control of the, uh, of, of the entire locker room. But then, you know, four four wins ain't going to cut it there, and and Florida basketball is mm-hmm. kind of in that situation now as a as a basketball program, right? So, um, I, I use that analogy because it's the nature of the beast, and now the nature of the beast is different from when Florida won the titles, right? Um, so different that you look at the SEC, which used to be a twelve team league, now it's a fourteen team league. The in my opinion, the best crop of head coaches, uh, one through fourteen, uh, then the Big Ten. Probably even the Big Twelve. That's arguable. But mm-hmm. Big Twelve, Big, yeah. 12 has, Big Twelve only has ten teams, so they can kind of game that, and it helps everybody. Um, by the way, all of them are in the top forty today. But whew, which is what insane. a league! It, it, it's a great league, but watch, two or three of them will drop off by the end. It happens almost every year. Um, but it, so again, it's the nature of the beast. It's it's just you know, uh, it's in hiring Todd. And I think you guys mentioned this. It, it's it's a process decision. You know, he's coming from a WCC world where things had to come together in a certain way. He's got a whole different approach. It's going to, it takes time a little bit, I think for the players to get involved uh, and totally on board and uh, just have that mentality. Hopefully that's going to start showing soon. I I think they're there. I could tell Castleton's uh, definitely there. Um, So we'll see how the other guys come along, but, but um but yeah, I, I mean, it's just you look at it, right? So you lose six non-conference games now, or sorry, five non-conference games. Now there's seven total losses, zero and two in the league. You've got to get, and I'm a bracketologist first and foremost, so I'll tell you this: they've got to get to nine and nine, maybe even ten and eight in this league. Yeah, the key games are all on the road because that's how you start to make up for your gaps. And right. the road schedule is unbelievable. Um, they're going to Kansas State for their Big 12 challenge, who's now a top 15 team. Um, Deontay Johnson. Deontay Johnson killing it. Congrats to those guys, actually. Really good, really good dudes over there. Um, but they're going to Kentucky, they're going to Alabama, they're going to Arkansas. <laughs> you know, it's it's like and then even Mississippi State, Texas AM, and LSU road games, uh, those all could theoretically be tournament teams as well. If not, they're close enough. Uh, they're going to be quad 1B opportunities. The first ones I mentioned will be quad 1A. Um, if that sounds like a foreign language to anybody listening, the quad 1A wins when you're on the bubble, uh, the majority of the teams do not have one. If Florida wins one or two of those, it changes everything. Uh, but the key for a team in the SEC or or a Big Ten, for example, is you can't be that close to 500. You need to be at least three games over 500. So at 7-7, seven and seven, that becomes a real issue. Um, and to me, that's the simple math. You got to get to three games over 500. You got to figure that they'll lose a game in the SEC tournament. I mean, only one team's going to win that thing out of 14. Um, and so you got to factor all that in when you're trying to project for your tournament team. And there, and make no mistake about it, you guys said it last show. This is a team totally focused on getting to the tournament, and the work's cut out for them. And I think you know we'll get into Georgia soon, but um, that that's a that's. That makes Georgia such a must-win right now. It's it's yeah. kind of crazy to think about. It's it's it is one of those things too, where again, if we're looking for some optimism right now, it's like man, the the things have not gone well. We know they haven't had 
a good win really, but like they're 57th in Ken Palm, which again is not tournament team quality, but it's not that far out considering like how much the wheels have kind of felt like they've fallen off. They're 73rd in the net. That's yeah. certainly not, it's not in a position where they'd be considered as an at-large if it was tomorrow, but like they're, you know, they're high major teams that it feels like things have not gone as bad as it has for Florida and they're in the one thirties or one forties. So like as bad as things have gone, the Gators are, are not out of that. And, and, and Rocco, it's kind of nice to have a little bit of uh, um, something, some, a goal, some kind of attainable goal where it's like, Hey, three games over 500 in sec play. That's a tough, it's a tough ask. It's not unbelievable. That's for sure. And, and Neil, you mentioned the close games. I think this will be just probably my last point on, on Texas A&M, unless anyone has, has anything else. But one of the topics for conversation has been Florida's late game offense, as much as we, you know, their total offense hasn't been good. The late game offense has been, um, you know, especially notable because that's what happens at the end of close games. Those possessions are, are even more spotlighted. And uh, we, we talked about it when a couple games ago where, where, you know, Colin Castle turns the ball over and a tough put when he gets the ball in a tough situation. Um, the Gators kind of had three possessions, I'll call it, under a minute where they needed a bucket. They had a post up for Colin Castleton that was pretty far from the hoop, couldn't get anything going, tries to pass it out, it gets tipped out of bounds. Then we have Kyle Lofton, tries to cook one-on-one. We've talked about that not being his game. It ends up in a pretty mm-hmm. tough floater, doesn't fall. I don't think anyone loves that shot. Um, and then right. um, the last one, um, of course, the possession ends with a Trey Bonham charge but it wasn't like the play was ran for him. It took the play kind of breaking down. Then it gets reversed to him in a situation where he's got to just get downhill in a hurry. And um, I'd love to see him stop and pop versus take a floater. But, um, you know, he went for the floater and committed a charge and that was unfortunate. But um, as as much as I think there's some people that were like, hey, like you got what you wanted because I was the one who said, hey, I want Trey Bonham with the ball at the end of the game. I don't really classify it as that because the ball was on the opposite side of the floor as they, as the Gators tried to run an action, it got blown up. They kind of frantically moved the ball. It ended up in Trey Bonham's hands, but um, I, I will not say that he was the guy initiating the final play. So I'll just say once again, I just didn't love Florida's late game offense. It, it showed that, Hey, it's tough to have when your yeah. best player is a center. That's tough at the end of games. We saw them try to throw it into, into the post for, for Castleton. He got pushed out a little bit. Couldn't really get anything going. We know that Kyle Lofton has limitations. And uh, I, I, again, that was just uh, one of the things that was, I will say, once again, an issue for for the Gators. But Rocco, you were in the building. Um, how do you feel those those final possessions went? No, excellent point. I think going back to Neil's point on on the luck stat, I've got a theory on this. It's probably uh, not not that, that great uh, <laughs> if you d- dive into the data. But, you know, last year, the luck, uh, just to tie it back to the luck stat, the two top teams in the country in luck were uh, UNC, Wilmington, and Providence. I think Providence was one, Wilmington was two. And if you look at those games, just turn on the tape of the last minute of Providence and Wilmington games. It, what The reason why they were there um, – one sec. Uh, sorry, yeah, I'm out at one. Um, apologies. Hopefully we can edit that. Uh, no, it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go back, go back and watch the last minute of Providence. I mean, I'm sure most fans are familiar with Providence, even Wilmington as well. They had a guy or two that could consistently be the man in the final minutes. It's a, such a key element of college basketball. And, I, and I've noticed it shows up in that look stat. And the teams that struggle with luck have uh, typically, and I'm not going to, and I think this is true for the Gators. I'm not going to comment for the other teams. I have to yeah. research more. But 
typically haven't identified that guy. And so you get to these end of game situations. It's like, who's going to step up or maybe we chose the wrong person, all that kind of stuff. And I was talking yesterday with the UAB uh, staff pregame and they've got Jelly Walker and Eric Gaines, just two of the best guards in the country. They just happen to play in conference USA. They're like, Oh yeah, that's not an issue for us. We know who's getting the ball with a minute to go. And uh, we feel unbelievable about it. And so, you know, and even at Florida Atlantic, uh, they, Dusty's got the ability to go with the hot hand. Uh, that happened to be John L. Davis last night, who had a career high 30, 36, 38. Um, we, everybody in the building knew who was getting the ball in the last two minutes. And I mention all that broadly because uh, clearly the Gators haven't figured that out. And the longer that goes on, uh, the more chaos that that is potentially out there for future uh, future occurrences. And I think that's somewhat directly tied to the luck stat um, mm. because luck's just looking at data, but you look, you look at everything else. It's, it's literally like, who's going to go get you that bucket. Um, and the great teams have that guy and the, and the teams that go deep in March have that guy. So it's, it's, it's a big thing. So that's, that's my thoughts there. Um, I'm sorry. There might've been another question. No, I mean, I, I want to add something and then I'm going to, I'll kick back to Eric cause we can transition into Georgia, I think. Um, but so, you know, I, I did find this just typing as you were talking, because um, immediately I thought, man, Creighton has that guy. Well, I'm wrong because here's what Greg McDermott said after a two-point loss to Arizona State. And I love it because this is so great for the Rocco Miller point that was just made. Uh, I, I was at that game, by the way. Yeah, so here's what Greg says. <laughs> we don't really know what we're going to do when there's a minute to play. We thought – that it would be Ryan or Baylor. It hasn't been. Maybe we need to try Arthur. They mean Arthur Kaluma. Yep. Um, but right now, with a minute to play, our guys kind of stand around and wait for something good to happen. In yes. And they should not be nine and six. Uh, but, you know, when they're 357th in luck, uh, some of it seems like Greg McDermott doesn't know who his guy is at the end of a game right now with all that talent. Exactly. And, and, and I, you know, funny, funny example, cause uh, I was there and I was at the presser when he said that um, I, it, it's a, uh, you, you know, Creighton's story is a little bit larger than that. Cause Kalkbrenner had mono missed, missed all their losses basically, or he was just not himself. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But, but, but the point remains on Creighton. And it remains, I think, at Purdue uh, when they get into a tight situation. Uh, we saw, that showed up in the Rutgers loss for them. So it's going on everywhere. If, if you know, Purdue, UConn, Creighton, uh, those three stand out. I'm, I'm, maybe I'm missing another team, but we can center our focus on those three. They they have an unbelievable advantage with the big, and and that's what Florida's banking on. Uh, but they all similarly share issues in late game situations. Uh, because it just doesn't really work to go to the big in the last minute. Now UAB's got it figured out. FAU's got it figured out. So I think I think that just broadly for college basketball fans is going to create such an unbelievable march if if some of these underdogs keep the games tight till the end. Um, but you know, I, if you haven't found the go-to guy by now, you know, in most cases they probably aren't going to find him by March. Uh, but in other cases, yeah. maybe you got the guy. It, like Florida, I think, has got more hope because they're playing 10 guys. And there's good guys <laughs> like right. Felder who 
<laughs> there's got good players like Felder and whoever else that aren't really getting much run. Um, you know, one guy goes down or a, a shakeup in the rotation, and all of a sudden things can change instantly. So I think there's more hope at a place like Florida than than like a Purdue, Creighton, or uh, UConn because they're so established now and they've had so much success. There's no there's no way those coaches are gonna um, shuffle. Maybe maybe Creighton, but the other two definitely not. So no. I think it's all fascinating. I'm very glad you brought that up. So transitioning to Florida's game on Saturday, which you will be at as well, Rocco, is, is is Georgia. And hey, we're talking about guards. I think that is unquestionably the strength of this Georgia team and and why they have been able to put up some wins early in the Mike White tenure, um, already soaring past their six-win total from, from last year, which of course uh, scheduling will have something to do with. But um, I do think their backcourt of, of Cario Oquendo and, and Terry Roberts is, is outstanding. Um, both are kind of similar players where they are both – physical downhill athletic drivers um, which is I think going to be a little bit of a concern for the Gators who is if they kind of hold to what their starting lineup has been recently is going to be um, Kyle Lofton in the backcourt who's not a great athlete but again a smart defender he's long he's experienced um, and Trey Bonham who's really quick but is not going to be as 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 large physically as as these guards so um that's that's what I'm going to say is is for sure the strength of this Georgia program. I think that I think those that backcourt is outstanding, really. And Aquino's starting to hit shots in a way that he hasn't or yet yeah, didn't last year. And uh, I think it could be a p- potential issue. But I don't know how much uh, you've seen of, of Georgia, Rocco. But uh, what are you expecting on 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 Saturday when they come to Gainesville? Yeah, no, I I agree. Uh, I think I think Mike did an unbelievable job in the portal, uh, given the circumstances. And I think almost everybody uh, that does previews. Uh, kudos to the Almanac. Those are my friends over there. Um, you know, somewhat colleagues at Field of 68. I do some work for them too, but, but, uh, they, they, they did a great job. I thought on the Georgia preview, um, you know, Terry Roberts, I, I, I watch a ton of Missouri Valley basketball. He was so unbelievable, uh, at Bradley last year. And, uh, it's, it's clearly uh transition to the sec level, um, as he's him and Aquindo have become kind of the go-to guys at Georgia, um, I, I think it's a sneaky, really good roster. Um, and I said that in October. I still believe that. Um, I think they'll be very tough at home. Um, I don't believe they're ready to be in the top half of the league. Um, who knows? I could be wrong. I've been wrong before. Uh, but clearly playing um, very well. You know, their only losses are on the road to Georgia Tech, which was their their probably their bad loss if they have a bad loss. Uh, but it was a road game in a rivalry game by two. Um, they lose the UAB who's supremely talented on a neutral court in, a, in an event and they've lost to uh, wake forest by 10 on the road. Um, by the way, those are the, besides St. Joseph's in that event um, and Notre Dame in, in Atlanta. Uh, those are the only times they've left Athens. So and they got Applebee'd against wake. They got, they got Applebee'd. They did. They did. <laughs> Shout out to Applebee. Absolutely. So, so I look at teams like this with a grain of salt because, the majority of college basketball teams are going to play very well at home, especially talented teams. Um, and, and quite frankly, uh, I, have, I have a ton of thoughts on Auburn, but we won't go there yet. <laughs> um, you know, they're playing Arkansas on Saturday. Very easy to say sandwich game, completely overlooked Georgia, didn't bring their 100% A game, all that. But but kudos to Georgia. They're, they're, they're definitely built to hang, and I think they're going to be pests for a lot of teams in the league. And And – you know, the underlying factor for this specific game is everybody in Gainesville minus maybe Todd Golden and a couple of the assistant coaches. 
Did we lose Rocco? Looks like uh, we might have um, lost Rocco there, but we'll just go on um, on on the point. I, I just uh, uh, for at least he he throws out for me talking about um, how it's really about uh, Mike White coming back to town, and uh, yeah. I think that's that's pretty fair, especially in the perception of a lot of people that maybe aren't happy with the, the how things are looking right now in, in Gainesville. And like as, as much as we can talk um, process and um, giving Todd Golden opportunity, I think the the, the fact of the matter is, man, if uh, you know, if Mike White comes and gets a convincing win in a for sure rebuild year in, in, in Georgia. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's not going to make a lot of, you know, I'll say casual fans feel very good about, about the direction of, of Florida basketball. And I think you, when you add in the, uh, the tough matchup of, of these, uh, this backcourt for, for Georgia, it's, uh, yeah, it's going to be a, going to be a little bit of a, a bit, a bit of a concerning game for sure. And, 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 and I'll just say like one thing too, like, uh, not that, it's going to register with the casual fan for sure, but this isn't just Mike White coming back to town. Like it's Eric Pastrana. It's um, Akeem Misteen is, is, is coming back. Um, a couple members of the support staff are, are coming as well. So I, I think um, that's just something to remember is, is this is the, uh, the homecoming of, of several, um, several, several staff members, not just Mike White. So, I mean, Hey, Eric Pastrana, recruited to a very high level when he was at, at, at Florida. I, I, I would say Eric Pastrana definitely did his job um, when he was in Gainesville. Um, you know, not, it's a little tougher to say with, with, with Miss Dean for sure, just in his kind of short time, but Hey, we saw the recruits that Pastrana landed. So um, there's, there's, there's guys that uh, yeah, worked, worked hard for the, for the orange and blue ultimately wasn't a, a great end to the Mike White tenure, but uh, well, we got Rocco back now. Um, you were just dropping out when you were mentioning that it was just such a, uh, um, the, the biggest storyline for sure is, is, is Mike White coming back to town and, you know, whether, uh, whether or not it's fair in the perception of a lot of fans, I just said in the perception, especially in the eyes of casual fans, um, the outcome of this game is, is, is going to be, be big for perception, um, whether positive or negative. Yeah. And I apologize for dropping. Um, you know, I, I gave a really long winded answer. I didn't, I didn't know I had dropped. Oh, <laughs> so I'll, get, I'll, get. I'll, I'll give you the, I'll give you the cliff notes, but, I, but yeah, ab- absolutely. It's the nature of the beast. And I, I think there's another side to that because, um, you know, however they parted ways, right. Mike White and the university of Florida, um, they, they did it mutually. It was, it was a conscious decision, right. And it was also a conscious decision to hire Todd Golden. And so no matter what anybody says in the pregame or postgame, um, that pressure is there. And um, I'll tell you this, like Golden and, and his guys he brought over, um, they, they know this very well. And, and uh, I don't think they're getting a lot of sleep that, uh, these last couple of days and, and, and tonight probably because it's just the nature of the beast. It's, a, it's, it's embedded pressure uh, due to the fact that this guy got dismissed and you were the guy to bring the program forward. So, you know, they're going to, they're going to do everything they can to make sure they get that win. But, but man, it's, it's a beast of a game from a, from a pressure standpoint. And if I'm Todd, I'm frustrated because, you know, if you were any other school in the sec and you were Owen two and you had Georgia coming to down to town, you'd be like, all right, we're going to get this thing right. We, you know, Georgia's good, but you know, we're, we're, we're a legit, Torvik says it. Ken Palm thinks maybe we are a tournament contender. We're going to show everybody what we got. It's not going to really be able to be that because it's a, it's a Mike White game. Everybody's thinking about that. It, Mike White can use that as his motivation for his players. Um, and it's it's just different. It's, it just totally is different than, than Georgia playing any other school on the road uh, on Saturday. So 
Um, fascinating storylines for all, but at the end of the day, the Gators uh, need to be prepared. They need to not think about that as much as possible and and just focus on the on the little things that it takes to win. Yeah, and I, I would add a, a couple things, I guess. One is, you know, you spoke about Mike doing a great job in the portal, and the biggest thing he's done was just upgrade them defensively. I mean, they are yeah. 240 spots better. <laughs> in Ken Palm defense this season already than they were last year when they were, you know, a swinging gate under Tom Crean. And it's <laughs> not, you know, and some of the guys, it's just night and day. I mean, Jabri Abdur Rahim, for example, is a guy they're now playing 20 minutes a game that was playing 10 for Tom. And they're playing him that much because he's so good defensively and he does what they want to do, which is switch. And hedge. I mean, they haven't changed their pick and roll defense a bit, Eric. They're doing the same damn stuff, but they've got personnel to do it. You know, they're making Braylon Bridges defend, which he certainly was not interested in doing, uh, other than just standing around and being big. Last year, um, they're kind of a joy to watch uh, on the defensive side. They really frustrated Auburn. I th- they beat a very good offensive Chattanooga team by holding them to twenty-one points or something in the second half. Um, you know, and then they had a shot quality win against Wake Forest, by the way. And like I said, they, they got Applebeat. I mean, you know, when, when Tyree's going to hit step back triples from the logo and Mike laughs about it on the sideline because I watched that game on TV. Like, you know, what are you going to do? And credit Mike for, for enjoying that as much as he did. I'm sure the few Georgia fans that were watching Bulldog basketball at that point in time might have wondered what the hell was going on there. But that's Mike loving his kids and. If there's one thing we learned about Mike at Florida, it's that he loved his players. Um, yeah. And and they're prideful. I mean, you know, that staff. You mentioned Akeem. You mentioned Eric, who I know is excited to get back and, and hit up Miapa Cafe for some Cuban coffee. And, and uh, you know, Eric said, you know, we know that Mike's never had a losing season, you know, in his entire career as a head coach. And here they are, 11-3. and three. So for them to avoid a losing season, they got to get what five or six more wins in the SEC, which by the way would be five or six more than they got all last year. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I don't know. I mean, Mike won a lot of games at Florida. I think uh, I took as much Twitter abuse as one man can take for pointing out that only John Calipari and and Rick Barnes have won more SEC games in the last eight years than Mike White. Uh, Florida fans started to hate that stat by the end of, of White's tenure at Gainesville. By the way, no one but John Calipari has won more SEC road games in the last eight years than Mike White. His teams are always ready to play on the road. Gators better be ready to go, baby. Yeah, uh, great points, Neil. I would just mention as well that, you know, if you break down Georgia's game by game, uh, you look at their, you, you know, glaring weakness, um, a stat that Ken Palm calls not non steel turnovers. I, I, I equate that to tennis. Um, I, I always mm. have, I, I call it unforced errors and um, George is very ridiculously bad as a, for the season in that, I think yeah. three twenty fifth. Yeah. And if you go game by game um, you know, that, that loss to wake forest, they turned it over 21% of the, their possessions. Um, they've actually turned it over in over, over 20% of their possessions in uh, seven of their games. And then if you go 19%, uh, nine of their games. So, it looks like they cleaned that up a little bit in the Ryder and Auburn games, the, their last two, uh, their last two performances. But um, in general, <clears throat> it's a mistake laden team. And if, 
you know, all the metrics are true with Torvik and defensive efficiency with the Gators. There's a there's a window of opportunity there to really just get these guys right. making mistakes early and r- blow them out of the building like they did to the Ohio Bobcats in Tampa. Um, so ideally, if I'm a Gator fan, I would I would hope for that early. Um, on the flip side, here's a motivating factor for for Todd <laughs> uh, Todd Golden is uh, Mike White was responsible for scheduling Florida Atlantic. And one of the first things I talked to Todd about, I'm a, I'm a very f- schedule focused person, is uh, how did that game even happen? He goes, "Oh, that we we couldn't get out of it." Um, so I, I know I know Todd is not uh, <laughs> Todd is certainly not a fan, and I'm sure he's okay with me saying this of having that game on the schedule. And of course, it didn't work out for the Gators. Um, luckily, Florida Atlantic's really good, so I don't think it's going to turn out to be a bad loss or anything. But um, there's a motivating factor for you because he he definitely didn't want to have that game in his first year, uh, and he did, and it's because of Mike White. Yeah, I, uh, I I'm still looking forward to uh, seeing next year when we actually get to see Todd Golden and Jonathan Sapphire schedule ha- as they want because of course it was uh, just about the Ohio one, and uh, you know we won't get uh, too much into it, Rocco. But I don't know if you know this, but uh, yeah, that Florida Atlantic game was scheduled in uh, in February and was. Uh, to, uh, yes. for a good a pretty uh pretty big pretty big check for uh for florida atlantic so uh you know yeah i, I probably that... know yeah i probably yeah, know wait. i probably know a little too much about it that i shouldn't say any more on but yeah if yeah, I yeah. Be, you've got the important stuff there <laughs> so yeah we'll we can uh, make some implications and, and and stop there but uh yeah i'm still looking forward to when golden and, and sapphire can really put together a, a, their style of schedule but uh uh yeah going back to the, the turnover bit one thing that uh, I, I like the the tennis unforced air kind of comparison because like yes they do have a lot of turnovers from terry roberts and aquindo who are going to drive downhill aggressively and sometimes they get ripped sometimes they lead their feet and try to make a tough pass and throw it away but like they have so many turnovers from braylon bridges in i'll say non-scoring scenarios um and those are the turnovers that really frustrate you um just as they're trying to move the ball side to side not even getting into scoring actions and matthew alexander moncrief has struggled a little bit with turning the ball over like they they do commit like very frustrating turnovers and those are the ones that are like the pick sixes where you throw it into the block and they're just trying to get it back out to a guard and they throw the ball away like those are the dangerous turnovers i I think you live and die like that was one thing that i think even when when florida was recruiting terry roberts in the portal and they ultimately i you know, d- didn't end up with them. But one thing I think that they had issues with were his turnovers, um, which I can understand to an extent. But like for me personally, I- I'm going to live with guys that are constantly getting downhill, occasionally turning the ball over. Um, I, I you're you're not as okay with you know guys in non-scoring situations giving up pick sixes. So it'll also be interesting because the Gators, again, this is kind of going back to uh, about an hour ago, and we started the podcast talking about that they play somewhat of a conservative defensive. Um, system is like the Gators don't actually turn over opponents very much. They haven't been a high steel team. They haven't been super disruptive, Um, but now they're playing a Georgia team that likes to kick the ball around. So this, this uh, as the Gators have like cranked up their defensive intensity, have been better defensively could also be very good for their confidence. If they start getting these deals where um, we see Will Richard with his like poking away passes or digging down with Trey Bonham and then getting some easy ones on the other end. And, and that's one of the things too, if we also want to loop in this whole podcast of a bunch of themes together is, as the Gators try to figure out a way to put the ball on the hoop, 
Um, we know their half court offense is not looking good, um, but their defense is looking good. And if they can go from, okay, now we're, we're stopping um, quality shots where we're securing defensive rebounds. If they can turn that into now we're getting steals, um, you know that the Gators could desperately use a couple of easy buckets coming off steals because uh, we know their half court offense isn't great. So um, if, uh, if there's a recipe to the Gators winning this basketball game, it'd definitely be getting, you know, eight, 10, 12 more points off turnovers. Bingo. I mean, uh, you nailed it spot on. I, I think if somehow you could extrapolate out a longer stretch or just o- more overall game minutes of how they played the first five minutes of the second half against AM, you could you could really see that playing out here in the Georgia matchup because, uh, again, it, they did have some steals and transition buckets, but they also were just getting rebounds and running and just making quick decisions and getting to the hoop. Um, that needs to happen. Obviously, energy-wise, it's not going to happen all 40 minutes, so you got to be realistic. But they need to extrapolate that out and try to uh, score before Georgia can set up their defense. And um, however many minutes or how many runs they can put together doing that, uh, the, the more the more of that, the better chance they're going to win this matchup, especially given all the great um, information you just provided, Eric, uh, in terms of potentially sloppy play from the Bulldogs if, if Florida can keep the pressure up. Well, it is going to be an exciting one, 1 o'clock. Uh, Saturday in the Odom, uh, Florida looking for its first SEC win. Want to avoid an 0-3 start. Georgia looking to start 2-0 in the SEC for the first time since the Dennis Felton era. Um, <laughs> uh, it's, it's been a rough couple of decades in, in Athens. Um, anyway, uh, we want to thank Rocco for coming on. Follow him on Twitter at RoccoMiller8. Uh, also bracketeer.org. We're going to look forward to maybe bringing Rocco back when it is schedule making time. Cause I know Eric and I've had a bunch of conversations about Mike White's determination to just jump on a bed of nails and call that his schedule. Um, and, you know, I don't know if, if, if Todd and Rocco and Jonathan, all the people that help Florida make their schedule next year are going to be quite as aggressive uh, I'm sure that, you know, they may look at computers and do it a little differently. So that'll be fun. But Rocco, we, we appreciate your time and we hope you, uh, have a, a, an easier trip home after Saturday's game than, than you had getting out, uh, to Gainesville. Yeah. Thank you so much, fellas. I, I really respect and, and love your show. So it's a complete honor to be a part of it here today. And, um, and, and yeah, uh, it's, it, it's a great week. I, I identified it in the preseason and, um, you know, getting two Gator games, this is the only week possible. Uh, SEC scheduling, unfortunately, created all the rest of the weeks where they're either home, I think they're home and away, or or maybe they have a week where they're away twice. But there's no other weeks where the Gators are here uh, twice in the same week. And that also provided a window for me to go see Dusty Mays boys last night. And uh, I, I will get to UCF on Sunday. They're playing SMU. So a, a four-game a four and five-day trip is a thing of beauty from my perspective. And hmm. And again, I'm, I'm happy to discuss Gator scheduling. Um, you know, to me, it's not as interesting as as like St. Mary's because they have 15 to go after. Gators might only have a couple because they're probably going to buy the rest. But uh, we can break those down and and talk about 24, 25. You know, we're already trying to fill events for like 2026 20, right now. So wow, um, all sorts of good stuff going on there. So happy to happy to jump in whenever you need me. No, good we deal, appreciate man. it. 
Yeah, I, I just cannot, uh, especially like if you're into college basketball at large, if you're into low major, mid major basketball, like the schedule stuff you're going to get from Rocco on Twitter is like truly unmatched. You you will you will not get it anywhere else. So um, if you're a trio uh, basketball fan, you uh, you definitely need to follow him. So uh, we th- we thank you so much. We have taken a lot of your time. So we uh, we appreciate you committing to a whole hour and 10 minutes uh, longer. So um, I'll close us out. Go Gators and keep attacking closeouts.